Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm so thankful to have you join me again. I'm grateful for another conversation, and we're in the middle of one. We're in the middle of a conversation I had with Brother Matthew Barnes from the Church of Christ in Grapevine, Texas, and uh, thankful that he was willing to come in studio a few weeks ago and record this one with us. Now, um, this was a Bible study that he had written called Here I Am, Send Aaron. And what we're talking about are four excuses that Moses offered, and really a lot of times we can offer as well, and uh, how we need to get over those excuses to serve the Lord, and that's what Moses had to do was get over them. So we've talked about the first one, and we're going to jump into the next ones. Let's jump right in. So let's reframe uh, where we're at in this conversation. Moses, first he said, I, I won't have all the answers, God. And God responds to him with the idea that I, I'm with you, and, and I uh, will give you all of the answers. So lean on me. That's the Jonathan Edwards version. <clears throat> And then you go into the second excuse, and that one is, I may not be respected. So maybe could you uh, explain that, use the scriptures, et cetera, help us understand what Moses was saying when he says that? Yeah, I think this was just kind of another area where he's thinking too much about his past and who he is or was, not who he's being called to be and what he's called to be doing. He didn't have this mission when he tried to intercede with the Israelites and when mm-hmm. he rose up against the taskmaster. Those were just things he did on his own, from his own conviction, his own feeling about his people. But now he's got God in his corner yeah. saying, you will do this. This is this is what I want done with my people and you're the person I've chosen to go and bring them out. And that should have been a game changer. But he's still thinking too much about himself. Good. What does God say whenever Moses says it's it's about me and I'm not good enough because of my past? He shows him miracles that he's able to perform by God's power. He says, you know, stick your hand in your shirt or whatever, pull it out and it's leprous, throw mm-hmm. down your rod and it turns into a snake. Mm-hmm. He's showing him that essentially, I mean, if you take a step back and think about it beyond just what's happening, he's showing him that it's not you. You weren't able to do this, Mm -hmm. but you have God behind you. You are acting on my behalf. You're the messenger I send with my power and my calling, my mission. If they don't respect you, it's not you that they to respect or to reject. You're the messenger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I see uh, God's plan unfolding in this. You know, the the Bible's later going to say, and some people kind of mock where the the scripture says, and Moses was the most humble man on all of the earth. And you think, yeah, Moses writes that about himself, giving yourself the most humble award. When you look beyond the skeptical view of that verse, I think you see here in this specific place where Moses' pride is being torn away. Like, I can't do this. I can't do that. Um, they're not going to respect me, and God is tearing it away by saying it's not about you. And that's what gets him to the point where he can legitimately be described as the most humble man in the world because he's he tried to do it his way, failed miserably. Not one but two countries, as we mentioned, 
uh, want him either dead or cast out. So he has absolutely nothing except for his pride at this point. And now he's going to lose that too. Yeah, and how many of us, if we could have been born in the same situation, would leave the palace one day, see our people arguing, and go out of our way to try and stop it, would see an abuse or an injustice and would risk everything to try and stop it and to to do what he did. And then beyond that, not just seek some kind of justification or way to retain that cushy palace life, would just abandon it all and run out to Midian and become a shepherd. I mean, I don't think many people would make those decisions even. But Moses had a strong connection to his people he cared for god's people he cared for his people more it seems than wealth of this world than power prestige mm-hmm. i mean you would think that with his position he could do something to change their situation right. through the the land but he just took it upon himself i don't know if maybe that's a rash decision or something but i'm not going to assume something that's not in the scriptures there but that's a good point i don't know i just think that's kind of a maybe a part to think about of even the decisions before he went out to Midian and like you said, had his pride stripped away Mm. what was left. Well, you shift in your notes from Moses to us and uh, you say, if I can quote it, what we need to realize and remember when we tried to hide behind excuses is this. It's not about us. Now I know there's the, is it that famous book, um, Purpose Driven Church, or Purpose Driven Life, begins with the phrase, it's not about you. And for better or for worse, everything else that that book and, and that theology brings to the table, such a wonderful opening line, it's not about you. Um, you have some scriptures here that should remind us that it's not about us, that we're simply the messenger. It's God's message that we should be worried about. Would you share those with us? Uh, Romans 1 and 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And 1 Peter 4 and 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we talked about it earlier. Um just the idea of what's the worst thing that somebody could do to you. But you actually talk about that again right here. Like, what do we have to fear um, in losing, I guess, the respect of others? Is that it? And if that is it, then what are we really losing? Because that scripture, you know, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. It's such a powerful verse to remind you not to be ashamed. And why should you be? Because of what Paul says. It's the power of God. It's God's gospel. Mm. It's salvation. There's nothing personal about that for you to be ashamed of proclaiming. In fact, it's, if it is personal, it's the one greatest thing in your life you have to share. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that changed your life that leads you to Christ, that leads you to his word, which can, as a Joe Heisel's sermon book, the best life, it leads you to know the best life you can live. In this world. It's kind of like Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) 
I didn't say it. If Joe hears, <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, who cares if you're not respected because they're not. It's not you. They're not respecting. Right. It's not your message. It's not your word. And I get it. You know, people will try to make it about you. They'll say you're a fool. Yeah. You're less intelligent because right. you believe in God. You believe in religion. You're you're a Christian and. All the things we've heard about Christians that go with that. I get it. People will personalize that. But every time I read that, and I think when I was, even when I was working on this, I kept thinking about when Jesus gave them the commission. You know, it was the same mentality from Jesus mm -hmm. all the way through. It's not you. It's the message yeah. that they're rejecting. They're rejecting God. They will not have God as their ruler, basically. And I think that's a theme throughout the Old and New Testament. You see it over and over again. It's never about the person. And I don't know, maybe you feel like Samuel, I guess, when he was so mournful because Israel wanted a king mm -hmm. and he goes to God and he says, Samuel, it's right. not you. Right. That's they won't point. have me as their king, so give them what they want. I'd like to share in a moment, again, of personal confession. When I moved to Cambodia, uh, I really struggled on how to present the gospel and probably the first year ish. My big obsession was how do I present this in a way where it will be meaningful to them? And Romans 1, 16 and 17 really slapped me around after a year where I kind of had to concede I have made this all about me and how I can present it instead of letting the power be in the gospel and just presenting it. And I felt like our ministry over there really took off when we let the gospel hold the power instead of us trying to be powerful enough to make the gospel special to the Cambodians. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to learn the hard way. I feel like in a way, I feel like Moses, you know, I, I had to, I had to have my pride stripped away that I was good enough. When I accepted I wasn't, it got better. It's all about, well, one of the foundations of it is just trust. Trust God. Trust the culmination of the work since creation, mm -hmm. that the gospel is the power to save. Mm -hmm. And you can be something that maybe, I assume people will understand what I mean by this, boosts its effectiveness because you can relate to people. You can make that connection, not, not boost its effectiveness, but you can make a connection that allows it to operate more freely with people and different people can make different connections. Different people can reach different, different people. Right. Let me just keep saying different. People. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, that's the word manifest. The gospel is manifest through you. You know, we're, we're, we are the earthen vessel that the treasure's in and we're a jar of clay. They're a jar of clay. Yeah. So that it's our job to fill them up. Yeah, and I think that 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 concern, that fear, it it might spark up. It different, like you said, it happened in Cambodia. I mean, that's after you've been doing this for a while, and mm -hmm. different new things can bring that kind of feeling back. Um, I was working on becoming a preacher for a while, studying you know, dealing with those inadequacies that I mentioned, those feelings of I'm not where I should be. 
spending years with with Johnny and others traveling with Clint and going and studying with Doug Hawkins and Jimmy Cading and just anyone that would have me. And after all that time, you know, after a while, Johnny started saying, you know, I think you're ready to start working in the congregation. And he would recommend it to Grapevine and make recommendations. And I still felt like I'm not ready <laughs> for that. And the, I remember distinctly the, the first day and the first week, the first month of actually being supported by Grapevine, that crushing weight on your shoulders. Where Absolutely. You thought, this is now my support mm -hmm. like this is how i support myself in this world this is how i make a living and it's not about that but you just think like the money wasn't in my mind that's not what i mean i mean the fact that now the congregation had me working in that way i thought what am i doing what do i do <laughs> you know where at, who where, have i do yeah to you think that <laughs> you just sit there thinking i'm not ready for this yeah. and Every yeah. second that passed that you weren't busy felt like just the worst thing you could do. Mm -hmm. I just hope people realize that I, everyone has those feelings. I know they do, whether they say it or not. Mm. And I hope they realize that, you know, even guys who spend, you know, at least as far as everyone's expectation is, they, they spend 400 hours a week. I don't even know if there's that many hours in a week. <laughs> Reading, just reading, you know, that's all you do and read and read and you know the Bible. And so it's easy for you. It's not yeah. the same, same feelings mm -hmm. come up. And when there's new stuff, which in preaching, it seems like new stuff is always on the table. Yeah. All of a sudden you have to rethink everything. You yeah. have to come up with a whole new method to do this or that, which is, it's such a weird feeling because it's all the same work, but new mediums, new methods, whatever. Right. And right. you have to reinvent the wheel and yeah. I have several wheels that I have had to reinvent. That's so. <laughs> definitely not something that works in the business world. Right. <laughs> but right. anyway. Well, we have discussed two out of the four excuses, and I want to just review them for the sake of our audience as they listen to us. Moses, whenever God called him, first he said, I won't have all the answers. And God reminded him that God himself would have the answers. And then Moses said, I, I may not be respected, and then God, uh, in so many words, said, it's not about you. And so now Moses gives a third excuse. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how you think about he's talking with the great I am, and yet he is still offering these excuses one after the other. That's why Exodus 3 and 4 is such a favorite reading of mine, is, is just to see him and shake my head at Moses thinking, oh, Moses, how could you ever do that? But then kind of like what we've been doing this past hour, I slowly start to realize, oh, I've been doing the same thing on many different levels. But this third excuse, uh, you have it written down, is I don't have enough ability. So could you maybe elaborate on that? Are there scriptures um, you want to go through and just help us understand this third excuse? It's almost like anything else that doesn't fall in the first two kind of falls in this one. Because one of them's kind of his perception of his own progress of where he's grown to. Mm -hmm. The second is other people's perception of him. Mm -hmm. And this one's more along the lines of not in every way, but in some ways just his natural talents, inclinations, abilities. You know, he talks about he's not eloquent. Right. And uh, he's slow of speech, slow of tongue. There are some people that that might be a physical 
issue that they can never overcome. Mm-hmm. But most people, I would say, even people who maybe, maybe they're slow to talk, slow to get a thought to their mouth, you know, even if people who are quick to say what they're thinking can overcome that, you can probably learn some techniques to, you know, pace yourself and, mm-hmm. and overcome slow speech. But, uh, most of those things can be overcome with practice and with training. I mean, when I, when I studied with Doug for like two weeks, he had a bunch of us out there to Kentucky. And one of the things he made us do, we, uh, one Sunday we went to like three different services and there were several of us young guys and he had us all teach and uh, we had to record ourselves and then listen to it. And this was like way back early on when I was starting to teach mm-hmm. again. I hadn't taught for several years when I moved from Oklahoma to Texas. I mean, I was baptized in Oklahoma at like 13 and uh, moved to Texas when I was like 16. Okay. So I had hardly ever taught at all. And after studying for a while, I started teaching in and I was not a public speaker. And, uh, one of the brothers in grapevine, I don't think he'll care that I say, I won't tell you who it is, but (laughs) we were having a private conversation one time. And he told me that when I first started teaching, I was excruciating to listen to. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I've heard it. (laughs) I know what you mean. (laughs) And like I said earlier, I'm, I'm a pretty monotonous person. I can hear inflection and all that in my own voice, but I hear a recording and I just think, man, it's still monotonous as ever. <laughs> I don't know how I overcome that, but other people tell me it's it's gotten way better and it's not bad now. I'm like, well, that's your opinion and it's wrong. <laughs> but um, I think a lot of these things, you know, a lot of the issues of ability, I think come down to, you haven't done it. Most people don't start off with, you might have natural ability. Some people are amazing public speakers from day one. They're very personable. Some people are very analytical. Mm -hmm. They're able to really dig into something and maybe in a one-on-one they can Mm -hmm. teach you things about the scripture you never thought you could learn or you never would have picked up on your own. I'm probably neither of those. My dad is got a very analytical mind. Mm -hmm. He likes I don't, he likes to read instruction manuals, which is very weird. He reads some dry, dry stuff. Me, I'm more, if I had to pick one thing I thought was like a, a more natural ability, it's probably trying to make connections. Sure. And I like wordplay, but that's more of a hobby interest, but I try to make it useful, you know, and sometimes it's a stretch, you know, you take things that interest you and you try to turn those into an addendum to an ability or to to enhance your own abilities. But I think a lot of times it is just, you have to practice. Mm -hmm. And, um, when it comes to talking about the gospel with people, that's usually not an easy conversation because you're talking about, Hey, let's talk about any number of things in your life or on the table. When you begin that conversation of things, they would have to change. You have a bunch of scriptures you want to choose a couple and and maybe read them and explain how that's going to help us as we are considering the question I don't have enough ability. I do like 1 Samuel 16:7. The Lord does not see as a man the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we are a bit too caught up on what our outward abilities are and 
you know, there are inward traits that are expressed in, not so much in, they're not the most apparent things. Sure. Some people are very empathetic and that really can help them in studying with people. Right. Uh, in relating with people and understanding. And, you know, you may not know that just on face value things, which is usually what we judge, you know, well, that person's handsome, that person's not. That person's a good speaker and, man, I can't stand when this person's in the pulpit or something like that. Or they're long-winded or they say a lot of uhs and ahs and ramble. They might, but maybe it's not about their public speaking. Maybe they have something else they're good at. Maybe mm -hmm. they're a good counselor. Maybe they mm -hmm. are an excellent writer yeah and they just don't read their notes yeah. <laughs> um actually that's something i was just thinking about a second ago is have you ever had someone that maybe you read something by them and you, every time you read something by them you're just like wow this is great and then you hear them and there's something about their voice that you can't listen to them <laughs> and you just think i'm gonna stick to the books <laughs> well moses said he was not eloquent yeah you know that's why aaron eventually you know, Charlton Heston's movie gets it all backwards because Charlton Heston is just so powerful, you know, mm -hmm. that actor. But I like to think that probably the real Moses wasn't the most gifted public speaker and, and Aaron may have been better. But uh, I'm thinking about our sisters who are listening to this and they are not public speakers in the church because of what the scriptures teach. And so they're um, perhaps wondering how their abilities are to be used. And I think there's so many options for, like you said, you said empathy a bit ago, uh, the ability to um, relate to others, to be compassionate, the ability to be insightful in the scriptures. These are not only things for whenever we preach publicly, but like you said, from house to house. And dear sister, if you're listening to this, then I want you to know that the skills you have are valuable too, um, especially skills of, compassion and empathy that were mentioned i do think that goes a long way because when you talk about the scriptures like you said you're talking about truth with people who may not value truth you're talking about an afterlife with people who may not feel comfortable talking about death um, you're talking about moral issues where people may have strong disagreements on and so that's a high stakes conversation and there are some talents that people have that i don't anyway i'm kind of rambling but i'm Thinking well, about our sisters. No, I think you're dead on. And I think something applicable for everyone is. We talk about. <clears throat> or we, You might hear this. I know I've heard it in, in lessons and things like that. We know people based on how they present themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the idea of seeing as man sees. You see what I want you to see. You see the persona I want you to have. Mm -hmm. And depending on like the level of closeness you might have with someone you might present yourself in a different way but god sees past all that he knows the inner man he knows exactly who you are and what your tendencies are and what kind of person you are whether or not that's the kind of person that you present yourself as mm -hmm. and i think a lot of times when it comes to our work for christ and what we're supposed to be doing god wants that innermost man and whatever opportunities that you have to serve god whatever roles that you have He's wanting you to reach in there and pull out the best things that are there, the things he knows that are there, whether or not you're presenting them or not. Whether or not you're, whether or not you're presenting them. <laughs> Let's say it that way. And uh, 
when you said something about the ladies, there's an interesting connection I've noticed in my own life for public teaching. Um, nine times out of ten, if someone has influenced the direction I'm going to go in studying and working on some lessons, it's a, it's a lady in the congregation. Hmm. Because they say, we haven't heard enough on Old Testament. Or they'll come and talk to me about a lesson and say, I've been thinking about this. What do you think about it? And I'll start off on that and say, you know, that that's a good point. Or, yeah. or yeah, you know, my wife will say something or my mother or just somebody. And I don't know if it's just our congregation or if, if you've had an experience like that. I mean, guys will talk to you about lessons, but a lot of times if you say, what do you think we need to teach on? I don't know. I just don't seem to get the same kind of, maybe there's a thirst there that like, well, I don't teach, so here's my ideas and I'm going to give them to you. <laughs> And I don't mean that in a negative way, but sure, sure. Sometimes they give very some of the most insightful comments, you know. Yes. And you think, well, you probably did a better job explaining it to me than I will <laughs> when I try. But well, I, I have no doubt that, for example, in um, Acts chapter eighteen, that Priscilla was just as much a part of Apollos's conversion as Aquila was, mm-hmm. and. You know, Marissa, she, whenever I have Bible studies, um, we, we do some pre-marriage studies with young couples. Uh, we have Bible studies with individuals. We have Bible studies with families. I might be the dominant speaker in, the, in that private study. She does not uh, really enjoy being a, uh, the Priscilla as far as in a Bible study. But man, without her, the study would not have been the same. To have her presence there, to have her open our home, uh, she usually does have a scripture, two or five or ten, that she wants to add. So, man, uh, even if they're not the, the one who's leading just a one-on-one study, if they're with you, I've, yeah. I've come to value that a whole lot. I feel like lately I've been saying this a lot to different people, and it's not any kind of diminishing of the importance of public teaching. Obviously, that is a it's a function of the church mm-hmm. to gather and assemble and have public teaching. But I think sometimes that it's almost overemphasized where people put it on a pedestal as if it's greater than all the other acts of service that yes. we do as Christians, yes. all the other work we do. Preach it. And there's so many things that are not gender specific mm-hmm. for what work they are and what service you do for God that we need to remember and not leave by the wayside. I mean, like we've talked about house to house teaching, private teaching anyone can do that yeah Uh, you need to do that we've talked about Moses saying I don't have all the answers and God explaining that rather God had the answers and and he was wanting Moses to simply go and share what God speaks the second excuse Moses said I may not be respected and he was told to humble himself you know empty himself because it's not about us we just got finished speaking on I don't have enough ability and how one really has to um, not look at somebody's natural gifts, but look into the heart the way the Lord does, but then also step up whenever you don't have the abilities to work through them and to see that all the gifts, that the, the various gifts that Christians have and are using are uh, valuable. So here we are at the fourth excuse. It's from Exodus 4, verse 13. And uh, you summarize it as, I am not as qualified as others. 
But it seems like this excuse is a little bit more drastic in, in the context of Moses. Here he's really just giving up on himself. So maybe you want to break that down for us real quick? Well, he said, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Uh, I can't really say it any better than that. I mean, when I, you know, this, most lessons are not original to you. And I found an outline that was similar to this. It may have been more similar than I remember, but I liked the idea so much. It's why I worked on this study. And the reason I found it was I was actually looking for another very similar one. Uh, like several years ago, Bruce Roebuck at the fourth meeting was given a lesson. He, he mentioned one called, here's my check, send him. <laughs> and I wanted to find that one and read it. And I thought, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be negative about people, but I think that is the attitude of a lot of people in the church that we're doing great when we're financially supporting works. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. That is a wonderful thing that we're able to do. But that's not all. Just writing a check is not fulfill your own service to God. Right. There are fires at home to be kept mm -hmm. and there are fields at home to harvest. And just paying someone to go and do the work for you is not really the end of that commitment to God. Mm -hmm. And I think people need to really think about that. Keep writing those checks, you know, and do what you can to support worthy works and see the gospel carried out to all corners of the world. You know, that's great. And everyone should do that. Everyone should be glad to take part in that way. Amen. But you may not be as qualified as others for maybe a specific job or specific role, a specific opportunity. But if it's a situation you find yourself in and you are asked the question, I would say that you are probably qualified enough to handle that question. I think that Either you can handle the situation or you know someone that can and you can get them to come with you. Mm -hmm. Come be your Barnabas and be your your companion. I mean, it's a I think that's a hard a hard one for people to face up to. And I felt it was one that I I felt like a lot of personal connection to. Because I like in the part before that I talked about when I was younger. Mm-hmm you've probably had people kind of tell you this kind of thing of, well, you know, you talk about having a Bible study or trying to evangelize friends and stuff. And they say, well, you, you, you're just good at it. You've got natural ability at it or whatever. And they, they assume a lot of things, right? I've been told that. And I think that's one of the craziest things I've heard. <laughs> I mean, you knew me when I was a kid, mm -hmm. uh, like a hyper out of control kid. And then as I got older, I got really introverted. I was not good at making friends. I had a few friends Mostly just because we were geographically there and right. in the same congregation, that kind of thing, you know, it's tossed together. I never felt good at talking to people about anything. Um, just had no interest in it. I didn't have any interest in teaching. I was kind of shunted into that as a lot of young men are when they're baptized. And I was stubborn. I've always been stubborn. So I just fought my way out of it and said, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, so I refused to teach. I didn't like talking to people. I probably never really talked about the Bible unless something directly came up and I probably just gave a terse, quick answer of mm. I'm a Christian or just something real basic. Yeah. So this is what my religion says. <laughs> yeah. When it came to the point that I had that 
strong enough urge to break my own stubbornness and pride and whatever in my heart and said, this is not, this can't keep going this way. Mm -hmm. I remember that day at Grandy's on a break talking to my mom on the phone and just kind of expressing some of those feelings. And I said, you know, I'm going to reach out to Johnny. And I said, here's something that's not on the table right now, but I've been kind of struggling with this idea. I said, I've thought about preaching. And there was dead silence on the phone for (laughs) a little bit. And I I was like, are you there? And she's like, I'm just surprised. (laughs) Because it was so out of character. There was nothing about me that made sense for that. Except the one thing I knew about myself internally, and I think God knew, was that I care about people and I was stubborn in my convictions. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to let those things change. I'd lost a lot of friends who left the church. I was tired of that happening. I was tired of friends coming thinking, well, he's strong in his convictions. It was not strong in a foundation, in a rooted foundation in the faith. It was strong in stubbornness mm-hmm. and asking me questions I couldn't answer about my own beliefs. So I wanted that to change. And I can tell you every time I was in one of those situations, I felt like Moses here. I was like, I'm not qualified to give you this answer. I'm not qualified. And like we talked about earlier, half the time you feel like you're not qualified to be doing this job because there's so many things you have to be, you feel like you have to be ready for. And you, if you have some of the tendencies I've identified myself of wanting to be prepared for anything, that's not going to work in that field. You have to you have to be ready to make mistakes. So I'd like to maybe ask you to speak to our listeners and uh, consider that final question as we close this. Uh, what sort of encouragement can you give to our listeners about what they can do, or or just you know meditating on that question itself? Yeah, I think we've touched on a lot of it. I mean, I don't know that I can encourage anyone enough. That if you feel inadequate or you feel like you haven't been growing the way that you should or you don't know, you feel like you don't have direction, I mean, start with those three steps. Mm-hmm. Start a regular reading. You know, you don't have to do a schedule if you don't, if that's not your thing. Just set aside some time. Yeah. If it's 10 minutes, if it's 30 minutes, whatever, every day and stick to it. Read and either split that time into reading and then breaking down what you've read and actually studying it, trying to think through, write down every thought, every question you have as you read through and come back to it when you're done Mm -hmm. and start looking for answers. You may not find it then, but just keep coming back till you feel like you have one or start talking about it with your friends, whoever you have that's willing to talk about it. You know, start on those steps and Mm -hmm. pray. Make those things regular and habitual. That will make a big change. Um, Yeah. I mean, open up to a family member, a parent, something like that, and maybe they can direct you to somebody or just right. find the kindest person you know and see. I'll add your name and mine in that list of, of we can be facilitators. I've had young folks at the New Year's meeting, et cetera, that they do make a confession. And I think sometimes the mindset is, okay, well, I, I got this off my conscience at the big meeting, so now it's done. But if I'm the one that takes it, or if I'm nearby, I'll go and ask them, where do you live Mm -hmm. and who can you reach out to? 
And so then we get them kind of plugged in with their local group. So, listener, if you're out there and uh, you see Matthew or myself at a meeting, you can come ask us, hey, I have this concern, this doubt. What can I do? And we can try to help you get plugged in. I'm putting you on the spot, Matthew. Yeah, but <laughs> no, that's that's fine because I'm glad to talk with people. And and what I'm what I'm kind of advocating is even beyond make a friend that will be a lifetime study partner or mentor or whatever you need someone that you can you can talk with interact with well i'm again so thankful that matthew is willing to come in and study from exodus 3 and 4 i hope that those four excuses that moses offered and god's response to them were helpful for you to consider and if you'll take some time to meditate on the scriptures and see how often some of the excuses that we use are really similar to the ones that Moses used. And God was so patient, wasn't he? Didn't you notice that, how patient God was as he interacted with Moses? And God is patient with us too. But, you know, there is an end to his patience, just like towards the end of Exodus 4. He was upset that Moses just wouldn't accept the task that he had been given. And so I think there's a lesson for us that even when we have excuses or doubts or fears, just remember that God may have called you for such a time as this, that God can use you, and that he's the one who's providing the strength and the heavy lifting. And what he's looking for is somebody, a woman or a man of faith, to have faith and to trust him that in his time and in his good pleasure that he is going to accomplish great things through us. Okay, well, that's the end of my soapbox after the conversation. So thank you for listening. Please go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com, and check out all of the free resources that are there for you to download and use. And until next week, always remember, God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.